It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. I'm Sophie and I'm Ari and you're listening to having a night the podcast about dedicating what what <laughs> what's our tagline the podcast about dedicating your life to podcasts about dinner parties hey so like what'd you eat this week before we get into our really exciting guest that we have on I have had such a week of beautiful, glorious, gluttonous eating. And last night, after many, many nights of cooking with my family, I was like, wait a second. It's not as if we're in a, a desert. Like, can, let's just order in. Like, I, nice. everyone's exhausted. So there's a great little pizza place that does a really fine job up there. Um, and we just got, they make their own sausage. We did a sausage pie and a margarita. And it's a nice thin crust pizza in the middle of Michigan. Oh, sounds delicious. Tavern style, one might even say. Oh. Now, that we, now that I've learned that. She's an expert, folks. Hey. Girl goes to Chicago once. Um, what about you? I, let's see. Oh, so after our chip hour on Wednesday, my dad had made a bunch of Indian food. And we had a sog that we actually make a lot. We both make it a lot separately and together. And it's so good. It's one of my favorite ways to eat leafy greens. So you put like, it's ghee with onion, ginger, garlic, some cumin, you know, you like sweat those, you add, it's cumin, full cumin seeds, coriander seeds, uh, maybe a little bit of garam masala. And then you just add so many greens. You could use frozen spinach or you can use fresh spinach, mustard greens, collard greens. Uh Uh-huh. You could use kale. You could make a mix of all of them and you just cook it down, down, down. And it is so good. So flavorful. You could add paneer if you wanted, add a little dollop of yogurt or tzatziki. It's just uh-huh. really delicious. And you know how I feel about my greens. Wow. That sounds really good. I need to, I need some greens in my life. I feel like I'm turning into a, like a chunk of red meat. I have eaten more pizza, meat, chips this summer mm-hmm. than I have in my entire life combined. That's COVID for you. It really is. I was yeah. saying to Harry, I was like, I'm really excited to have a healthy September, whatever that even entails. I'm like, yeah. I might have to lock myself in the house with a head of lettuce and like not leave for three weeks. Yeah, I agree. Before we get started, guys, this is our season finale of season two. Season two has been going for 50 episodes. This is our episode. season you thought would never end. I mean, I sort of thought like season two springs eternal. Like, I guess this is it. We've only had two, you know, season two just goes on into infinity, but we've decided to cut it off. Season three will be coming at you in a matter of weeks or months. We're not. Yeah. As always, thank you guys so much for 
supporting us, listening, joining us at Chip Bauer, following us, DMing us, because we love you. And we couldn't do this without you because, I mean, we could, which is what we were doing before the podcast, just hang out and talk about food, but you know, more fun with more people. (laughs) Very true. You know, why don't you guys just help us make season three the biggest, baddest season yet? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So this week we have on a man who we decided needs no introduction, but if we were to introduce him, we might say that you know him as Trey from Sex and the City. Or Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Or Paul Atreides from Dune. Oh, Sophie's a big Dune lover now. (laughs) Uh, We listened to it on tape on the way up here. Amazing. (laughs) Guys, it's Kyle McLaughlin, the one and only. What a doll. If you've, oh you might have seen him as the mayor on Portlandia. He oh, my God. Very good call. Very good call. Incredible actor. One uh, The kind of actor who just exudes charm and friendliness. And I must say, after, after meeting him, he is that way in real life. But also is a chameleon. Yes. You know, it's like he exudes charm and friendliness, and yet his oeuvre is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, what you may not know about the fabulous Kyle McLaughlin is that he also owns a winery called Pursued by Bear. Love that he got a Shakespearean reference in there. A real theater nerd, just how we like him. <laughs> Kalu Henry, who was on the show earlier this season, um, she's the one who linked us up with Kyle. And yeah, he started this winery, Making Wines in Washington, his home state. And we will let him tell you all about it because he is so passionate and informed and curious. He really just dove into this kind of second career head first. And it's really beautiful to hear him talk about it. So enjoy it. You know, DM us anything. What I mean is, hey, we'll be gone for a little bit and then we'll be back, but we'll still be around. So we're saying, don't feel like we dropped off the face of the earth. We're right here. Yeah. All right, guys. Listen in on Kyle. Here we go. I mean, first of all, we were so excited when Kalu broached the subject of you coming on. Ari and I had like a very long back and forth of, oh my God, could this be real? Oh my God. So thank you so much. We're, We're very excited. Let's start by just like big overview of Pursued by Bear. What kinds of wines you make, where you're making them, how you got into it. I mean, of course we want to know everything. (laughs) <laughs> well, it started when I was a child, and I drank a lot. <laughs> I am um, <laughs> actually not too far from the truth. So I'm from Eastern Washington. So I'm from uh, what would be the portion of the Columbia Valley AVA, which is the wine producing region, which is on the east side of Washington State. And Washington State is kind of funny because it's it's really two states. Uh, you know, every state has a nickname. Obviously, um, you know, like New York is the Empire State. Um, Washington is the evergreen state, which is true if you live on the west side of a mountain range called the Cascades, which is where mm-hmm. Seattle is, Tacoma, all the, you know, the green stuff. The east side is completely the opposite. It's dry, it's desert, it's nine inches of rain a year. It's farming, basically. Wow. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fruit ranching, a lot of fruit trees, a lot of wheat. So um, wine grapes will do very well there because there's not much moisture and all the all the the farmers can control it so makes mm-hmm. sense that they have a lot of the a lot of vineyards over there and i was 
a wine drinker since I was in high school. I was a, <laughs> a nerd in high school. Yeah, I wasn't a beer drinker. I didn't see the point of drinking beer in a cold climate, especially when I got to Seattle, <laughs> went to school at the University of Washington. I was like, why am I drinking beer? It's cold. But wine <laughs> makes sense. And I love the romanticism of it. I love, you know, you could get a bottle of wine and you get some cheese and a little bit of, you know, prosciutto and then you got a picnic, you know what I mean? And everything is good. Right. And, then, and hopefully romance ensues from there. But yeah. um, when I was in high school, that was my you know, where I, but I loved, you know, so uh, I started there and then gradually moved into college and, and, uh, and, and beyond. And I found myself in Los Angeles working, beginning as an actor. And of course, Napa Valley has a great allure. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time in Napa, really just discovering, meeting people and enjoying what that was. And this would have been back in the, the mid eighties. So quite a long time ago. Um, and while it was sophisticated there, it hadn't kind of reached critical mass yet. Yeah. I don't think, but it started me thinking about this, the lifestyle, which I really loved, you know, cut to you know, maybe 15 years later. Um, I was looking for a reason to return home to my roots, uh, spending more time with my father. My brothers were in Seattle. My dad was still in Yakima. And I thought that, the the wine the idea of a of a wine or a wine adventure I wasn't quite sure what it what form it was going to take made a lot of sense to me because it would bring me back to the northwest I was spending a lot of time between L A and New York and not so much time home the other idea other thing was that the wine that was that I was drinking from Eastern Washington was actually very good I was surprised you never want to like where you're from right so I was like there's no way there's no possible way this could be any good well. I tasted it and I was like, this is extraordinary. So yeah. I said, well, it is possible to do it there. And I said, gosh, I'd love to find a reason to be back home. I'd love to learn more about wine. I think I need to find a winemaker, you know, and try to make this happen. And, you know, by chance, I met a guy named Eric Dunham at Dunham Cellars. And Eric agreed to make wine with me uh, at kind of a partnership deal. So I said, that sounds great. I knew nothing about oh, wow, wow, wine, wow. wine world. I just said... This sounds like something I want to do. So I jumped in with, you know, two feet all in and we shook hands and we started. My first vintage was in 2005, searched around for the name a little bit, tried to figure out what would make sense considering my day job, my acting job, something that would relate to it. And I've always liked the stage direction from The Winter's Tale, Shakespeare's play, Mm -hmm. The Winter's Tale, Exit Pursued by a Bear. It's the most uh, eccentric stage direction that he ever Mm -hmm. wrote. It's the most specific, certainly. And, and the most wacky, I think, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, okay, that makes sense to me. Let's call it something sort of playful, um, but let's make what's inside the bottle really serious. So Eric and I sat down and we started working through this process. We came up with a blend, which is a Cabernet Merlot. And at that time, a little bit of Syrah, which is one of Washington's premier grapes. Washington does all the red varietals extremely well, apart from Pinot Noir. It's just too hot for Pinot Noir. We'll leave that to the folks in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, a much mm-hmm. cooler climate. But all of the big grapes, it does really, really well. So Syrah made sense to me in the blend. It also made it a little more approachable, a little more friendly. Um, and I thought, this is, sounds great. So, so we decided on the blend. And then Eric really was responsible for bringing in all the grapes and the sourcing. He already had a vineyard, a winery. He was, you know, Dunham Cellars was popular, had been making wine for 10 years. He had relationships with growers. So he brought the grapes in and I was responsible for the barrels. Well, I just so happened to be making, I made a friend with a woman named Ann Colgan of Colgan Cellars. And she's quite a well-known winemaker within the, within the cult 
California Cabernet world at that time. And I mean, she's mm-hmm. well known anyway, but at that time she was sort of, you know, really was like, uh, when I, when I met her it was late nineties and she was really at the forefront of that uh, style, you know, Robert Parker. She was a darling of mm-hmm. Robert Parker. She was making extraordinary wines. She had hired Helen Turley as her winemaker. So it was a female driven company, which was pretty cool. Oh, great. So she just was really a, a powerhouse and really approachable. And she sort of was my mentor for a while. And I said, okay, if you, how did you do it? And what, you know, blah, blah, blah. Her winemaker after Helen was a guy named Mark Aubert. Mark's since gone on to his own winery and done some amazing things. But he was saying, he was really a big fan of these barrels called Terenceau. Terenceau is a French cooperage, uh, one of the top, maybe, depending on what kind of barrels you like to use, but I, they're generally considered some of the best barrels to come out of France. And he said, I can get you 12 of these barrels, kind of like the same ones that we use for Colgan Cellars. And I was like, I'm in, please. <laughs> so he set me up with a guy named Mel Knox at San Francisco Barrel Broker, a real character. Barrel and Broker. Oh, my God. Yeah, Barrel Broker. These are the things I get into. Remember, I'm starting with zero knowledge of any of it. So but amazing. I, I'm, I'm absorbing and learning as we go. So that's how we started with the 2005. I started with 12 barrels. We made 300 cases of Pursued by Bear Cabernet. And that was it. We started, you know, and I was like, okay, that's good. And, you know, you're spending money here and spending money there. And, you know, we're partnership with Dunham. So they're, you know, they're custom crushing the wine and they're, they're you know, winemaking for me. And I'm going up to visit and I'm bringing my dad down and we're, we're having <sighs> a great old time, you know, and the wine is in barrel. And so we do our first tasting, right? So it's, you know, let's say it's nine months in. So I take my dad down. It's all very exciting. You know, <laughs> we're in there. We taste the wine. My dad goes, well, this isn't very good, is it? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, like dad. <laughs> uh, and I like I was like and I had tasted. It, I said, yeah, it's fine. And I turned to Eric You know, I said, Eric, you know, what <laughs> happened? You know, and he said, don't worry. It's nine months in. It's not going to taste like wine yet. Relax. It's going to be fine. I was yeah. like, OK, OK, great. So, you know, it's, it's like taking two, you know, idiots, you know, my dad, and myself, and they're like, well, this isn't wine. He's like, well, of course it's not wine. It hasn't finished the process yet. You know? Right. Exactly. You're like, why are you inviting us for a tasting if it's not even wine yet? Right. Exactly. So I was like, okay, okay. So I relaxed. Oh, 2005 comes out. We, we, I remember reading Wine Spectator, for, you know, waiting for the reviews to come out like you do for so a So scary. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm reading and I'm going, this Pursued by Bear, 91 points, Wine Spectator. And I'm reading like that. And my first thought was, oh, somebody has a wine named Pursued by Bear. It was so crazy. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, it was an out-of-body experience. It's like reading, like if you get a great review for a movie or something, right. like, wow, that's not. But then you're like, oh, my God, that's my wine, you know? And I was yeah. like, wow, that's my wine. And so then we started. So we've had, you know, just great success since 2005. Um, I've added to the, you know, what was the, the flagship, still the flagship, um, the cab is now Cab Merlot, uh, no longer any Syrah, but I've added, yes. I added Syrah, hundred percent Syrah. I've added a Rosé. Um, I've added a lower price uh, point, actually wine, which is kind of a throwback to the original blend has some Syrah in it. That one's called awesome. Bear Cub. And I have one very, very small production, like 94 case production of hundred percent Cabernet single vineyard, Walla Walla AVA that I call Twin Bear. So I've got five wines. I don't even know how it happened. I really like I've got five children. How did it happen? I don't know. It just there you are. That is so amazing. <laughs> yeah. But but literally going from knowing nothing to now, I mean, I've got uh, my winemakers. Um, Eric is no longer my winemaker. Um, Dan Wampler is my winemaker. I'm, I'm moving my custom crush to to a different location. 
I have a brand manager. I have a distribution manager. I've got an accountant up in Walla Walla. I've got um, advisors here and there. I've got, I own my own fermentation tanks now. I bring in barrels every year. I mean, it's like I've turned into like this sort of mini, I don't know, it's like a little business that's sort of, you know, rolling along here. So we're not yeah. making it, but it's whatever I, whatever I make goes right back into the, the winery. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, bubbling along. So it's all good. It's so cool. And it's, I wouldn't expect anything less, but it's so great that you're so involved. You, I mean, you hear about celebrities who just kind of slap their face or, you know, partner with someone, but they're not there, but your, your real connection to the soil of this place and, and just wanting to be there for the tasting and, and to be just your curiosity when you've been doing something like whatever it is, acting, whatever, for so long, and then decide, you know what, I, I'm going to try my hand at this. You really do go all in because you're not, you're, it's, it's a choice you're making. And yeah. It's really exciting. You know, and and you go along and you're learning and you're enjoying and you're having fun and you're not really aware of the next step. You know, you're just, you've made the wine and now it's in barrel and you're just kind of hanging out and you're drinking a lot of everybody else's wine and you're hoping that your wine is going to be okay. And then your wine comes out and gets nice reviews. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess that's good. On to the next one. And they're saying, oh, wait, wait a minute. You you have to now go sell the wine. I was like, right. I mean, it doesn't, ah. just, doesn't just sell itself. I was like, no. So I'm like, oh, okay, so what do I need to do? So that began the process of distribution, direct-to-consumer, all the other elements, which is on the flip side, which is sort of the work side of things. Yeah. Uh, the creative side, the winemaking side is the fun side. And then, but the work side is fun, too, because you're out meeting people, talking about your wine, talking about Washington State, talking about what's happening there. And so I found, hey, I actually like this side of it too. So I'm very involved mm -hmm. in, in that process as well. That's fun to me, yeah. um, sharing it and talking about it. And so, um, you know, I'm around the country in various places. Now I'm on Zoom, you know, doing tastings and things like that. But yeah, I, I travel. I mean, I've got distribution in about 17 states now, including Japan and the UK. I mean, I'm in, awesome. I'm in London there. And, you know, and it's a, it's a great excuse to, when you're traveling, to like bring a few bottles and you know, go talk to people about what you make in Washington state. Totally. That's awesome. Right. And you're meeting people. And also I feel like to get to probably flex the muscles that you, you know, to flex the muscles that you were getting in the previous years of suddenly you have such a, I imagine you have such a broad vocabulary of wine speak, you know, that you didn't yeah. have three years earlier yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So getting to be like, I actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> It does. It does happen. And, you know, wine's that great thing is like you never stop learning. You know, there, there's other there's other areas, there's other countries, there's other grapes, there's other producers. I mean, you know, it's just it's, it's so the, deep. The so, world is so vast. It's true. I mean, yeah. it's so overwhelming because I actually feel like the more I know about it, the more I realize how little I know about it. Uh -huh. like, it's like very intimidating. Last, it's yeah. so intimidating. And yet I feel like actually people in the wine world, for the most part, so want to introduce you to things that they love and yeah. they're so passionate about it that I feel like it feels intimidating from the outside. But then when you admit that, you know, nothing, suddenly yeah. you're like kind of admitted in. Yeah, no, I agree with <laughs> but, you. I think, I think the best Psalms that are out there are the ones that want, want to share with their customers an experience, something that they really believe in, whether, as you said, it's a region or a wine or a type of grape, you know, you get, get kind of a feel for what the people's palate is. And then maybe take them on an experience that they weren't expecting. You know, yeah. everyone can go and revisit the, the classics and you know what you're going to get. But man, mm -hmm. what's to go on a new journey somewhere? And, and if it's curated properly, 
and explained well and the, and the psalm understands his customers, then, you know, what a wonderful thing to be. And I, and I do that when I go to restaurants. I'm like, I rarely pick and just say, what's, what's, what's drinking well? What do you like? Tell me what, uh, this, you know, these are the kind of things I like, kind of the price, a price area that I like. What do you recommend? You know, and I leave yeah. it in the, the song. We've interviewed this amazing man, Austin Power. That's his actual name a couple of times. And he's a sake sommelier. And he often says, because of course he has people coming and being like, I don't know anything about sake. I'm so scared to say. And he's like, tell me what your favorite food is, you know, or tell Mm. me just so, you know, he'll be like, somebody will say, I want a Big Mac. And he'll be like, okay, I know exactly the sake for that. Right. It's like, I want something savory. I want something with a big mouth feel, Mm. you know, and and just, it's just such an amazing entry point. And especially as someone who's a professional in the industry, being able to lead people on a journey that's unexpected and exciting, but yeah. 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 And that's what the best ones do, I think. Yeah. For sure. Well, it's almost like you need something to hook it on in order to kind of understand what what you're drinking. It's so hard to kind of drink in a vacuum. I find it hard to just do a tasting when I'm not, I need to hear a story or I need to eat something. I just need to have some other, whether abstract or literal thing to attach the wine to, and then I get it. It's really, I mean, it's meant to be like Kyle, you were saying, you know, let's have some prosciutto, let's have some cheese, let's have it like, let's create, let's entertain, let's have an experience. Let's not just be, Mm. you know, stingy about this and and sip and, and, you know. I approached it too. I said, you know, for me to learn about wine, I'm not really good at remembering names and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, apart from the main ones, it's like, I want, you know, and I said, I need a context, you know what I mean? So what, what does that mean? And really that's wine. Wine is the story, you know? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my story just happens to be, you know, returning home, Eastern Washington, passionate about wine, uh, learning as I go, sharing it with my dad and my family. Um, and just I sort of figuring it out, you know, by, you know, bumbling along really right. 15 years later, here we are, you know, I can't really believe it's been that long, but it's mm-hmm. so helpful to have, as you said, something to sort of hook it on, you know, some kind of a, yeah. since Washington is clearly one of your hooks. When did the Washington wine scene really take off? Like were you, when you were in high school, was the wine scene already thriving? Because I feel like I, you know, I, I think about American wines as having gotten started, of course, really late. Yeah. And that's yeah. Napa, that's California. So I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I would just love to know about the history. Yeah. We're even later, you know, um, I mean, they're the, the big producers, the Chateau Saint-Michel's, the Columbia Crest, you know, the, the, kind of the bulk producers have been around for a while. And I don't even know when they started, but it's been a while. But the smaller, more more uh, uh, quality-focused wineries, um, and by that, and I, I mean that, and also east side wineries um, that actually set up shop in Walla Walla started in 1977. So that was the year I graduated from high school. So oh, perfect. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Can you believe it? Look how old I am. Um, <laughs> But we weren't drinking wines from there, obviously, but my parents were drinking wines. You know, they were drinking jug wines, basically, you know, things mm-hmm. that were, um, there was no quality. They just, you know, bulk produced. But 77 began, Leonetti, Leonetti was the first. Uh, they short, were shortly followed by Woodward Canyon, um, LeCole mm-hmm. 41. I think Hogue was in there sort of early on, early to Walla Walla, but a very slow movement. Dunham, um, whom I uh, was attached to for a while, started in 95. So between 77 and 95, and Dunham is maybe the eighth or the ninth winery established in Washington. So for almost 20 years, there were only nine or 10 wineries that had been established, right? 
Now, shortly after 95, it began to escalate to the point where we are now here with 2020. There are over a thousand wineries now in Washington State. Um, granted, most of them are very small. Most of them you haven't heard of, but the, the proliferation was extraordinary. You know, part of that is yeah. because land's not expensive. You can get grapes. Um, you can live there inexpensively. You know, it's a small community um, on the on the east side, um, and it was one of those things where you know people were just people had other occupations, and they were like, "Well, let's make wine on the side." You know, we'll have like a little pet project. Right. You know? To be honest, I still. Pretty commonly, I mean, some of my vineyard sources, a uh, 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 vineyard that I love, a De Brule uh, vineyard is run by a guy named Hugh Shields, and he's a, he's a orthopedic surgeon. Um, <laughs> he does it's his real job, you know. But but I don't know if he's I don't know if he's retired yet. But that's what he did. But he also had this property. He farmed this property. He had a vineyard manager. He owned this property, and he grew grapes. He also makes wine. Um, Cote Bonneville is his brand. Um, but there's a lot of stories like that where people have kind of like they share, you know. Like two jobs, you know. Sophie, maybe we should move to Washington. <laughs> I'm not against it. <laughs> I'm ready to start growing grapes. I love this romance story that you're telling. You know, you got you the know, bottle of wine, the prosciutto, you're fine. Uh, like, <laughs> so, there is some of that. I mean, that to be honest, that is part of the attraction. I mean, come on, you go to Napa, you're going to be romanced in Napa. I mean, it's a stunning place. The food is extraordinary. It's beautiful. People are very nice. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely drawn into that. And I think the people that do that are drawn to the wine business do have this, uh, you know, there's a romantic uh, quality to it, which I think brings you in and sustains you for a while until you realize, of course, it's, there is some romance, but there's a lot of hard work. It's a bit like yeah. Hollywood, you know, it's like, oh, it's so glamorous. I'm like, eh, eh. Right, no. right. A, a lot of waiting a around. A couple nights yeah. out of the year, it's glamorous. The rest of the time, right. it's hard work. Exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious about, you know, it sounds like the Washington wine scene is much scrappier than the Oregon wine scene. And I mean, just in terms of like, I feel like I've, I read so much about the Oregon wine scene and maybe I'm just not reading the right publications, but is there like kind of a rivalry because they're so close to one another or do you feel like they aid one another? It's a good question about the rivalry. I don't know if there is, I mean, I think there's an appreciation and probably some jealousy from Washington about the success of of the Willamette Valley, of Oregon wines, mm-hmm. the fact that the Pinot Noirs there are so highly regarded. I mean, they're, they're, that's, that's great. You know, it's, in some ways, it's also like, hey, look, we're from the Northwest. We all make great wine. Right. Some nights you feel like a Pinot Noir, some nights you feel like a Cabernet. So why not? There's enough for everyone, you know? Yeah. I think there's an appreciation for the way Oregon has gone about getting the recognition and the identity. You know, this is the thing that Washington is still struggling with is what is its identity. I mean, California has the corner of the market on the, on the Cabernet. Napa Cab, very hard to beat. Even if you're from Sonoma, it's hard to beat. Napa <laughs> rules the day. Washington Cab doesn't quite have the same sort of allure. I will say mm-hmm. that quality for price is significantly better mm-hmm. than Napa. I mean, you're going to drink some extraordinary Washington wines for a fraction of the cost, uh, but it is not Napa Cab. Um, and I think Oregon has done a great job with that identifier, you know, in the Pinot Noir, you know, and they make extraordinary Pinot Noirs, a huge range of different styles within that. Syrah is a grape that is was really well in Washington, as does Merlot, but it just doesn't have the same kind of, I don't know, the allure, the the mystic quality that Cabernet does, you know, and people will always go for Cabernet. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I it's up to the Psalms and the, and the wine shop owners to sometimes twist the arm of their customers and say, I know you like this, but eh, you know, try this as well, because I think you're yeah, going to get for sure. 
you'll enjoy it. So and to steer you also because like Cabernet being a signifier for Napa or like Pinot for Oregon, like it's also marketing, right? It's like yes, of oh. course those grapes grow grow really well there, but yeah. I feel like those millionaires who moved out to Napa and were the first people to have vineyards there, or you know the first people to really hire a PR person to do their vineyard there, like sure. it's of course it's partially marketing and they are delicious, but it's yeah, you know. yeah. Well, they were going to help, you know, the scores. It was, it was a perfect storm in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a way with the wine advocate and Robert Parker. And, and listen, they're warranted. The wines are fantastic. Yeah. And the, the, the effort that goes into creating this, this quality is very, very high. You know, the, the fact of the matter is with wines, you don't want to drink a Napa Cab every night. You know, you, mm. you break it up. And so we're just in Washington. I think we're, we're just saying, hey, we should be, you know, on your rotation um, for wines that you enjoy, and we should have, we should be represented in your cellar, uh, along yeah. with all of your Napa cabs and and your Bordeaux's and you know your Shiraz from Australia, whatever. Everything should be represented because the quality is so good. And right now, you at, again at the fraction of the cost. Well, let's talk a little bit about you know what are we eat, what are we eating <laughs> with these yeah. wines, oh. you know. Yeah. What uh, what are we with the Syrah with like the original pursued by Bear? So my new uh, lower price wine, the Bear, is called the Bear Cub. Um, I actually went back to the original blend, so it's like a seven percent. That one's seven percent Syrah, like a eight or nine percent Merlot, and the remainder Cabernet. But the pursued by Bear, the flagship, is now Cab Merlot, um, and that's you know classic Washington flavor profiles. You know, it's 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 dark fruit. Um, uh, you know, blueberry, uh, cola, there's a dark cherry quality to it. Um, there's some mocha elements, uh, a little bit of tobacco, mm. all those kind of components that come in into it. And then also, you know, what the barrel brings to it. So, um, but the Syrah, slightly different. I like a really full-bodied, rich Syrah. And Washington's the kind of place where you can, there's a, all manner of, of, of styles that you can emulate with a, with a Syrah. Um, I like a kind of a really, very fruit-forward Rich but not um, chewy or overpowering Syrah. Not certainly not in a what would you think of as an Australian tradition. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not that that sort of knocks your palate on its side. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a little more refined. It's a little more elegant. Um, and that all both of these work really well with any sort of rich meat food. You know, so mm, you can right. with steak, um, lamb chops, Syrah, and lamb chops is amazing. I actually had Ooh, yeah. my Syrah with. Um, a beautiful king salmon, you know, the like more fatty salmon Ooh, that mm-hmm. had a glaze, kind of a soy miso kind of glaze on it. Oh yeah. Um, and it was, I, I was hesitant. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't a believer until I put them together, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. So, because there's there, the Washington, and particularly mine, because of the barrels I use, the tannins are quite refined. It mm. works really well. They don't overpower. There's a plenty of um, the bright acid quality to these wines, which comes with the the way the temperature works there, it's a very hot during the day and quite cool at night. So there's a shifting mm. grapes. The grapes go to sleep at night, um, which is what you want for this, um, for these, for these acid, for this That's acid. So water. cool. Yeah. So it's really nice. So those work in, in all of those things. So, um, any, yeah, any game meat is also very, very good. So. Yeah. Do they pair well with the famous Walla Walla onions? Oh, the Walla Walla sweet. Oh my God. <laughs> have you ever had those um, like onion rings? Uh, I don't have think I've had them as onion rings. I mean, of course I know Walla Walla, famous for yeah. the onions. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they're hard to travel, you know, the good ones, because they're, they're so delicate. The flavors are killer. Oh my God. Um, you do like a really light batter uh, with an onion, real light onion ring batter, you know, 
um, sort of fl- a little bit flaky. Oh, insane. Do you cook yeah. a lot? I do. Yeah, I cook. I do a lot of cooking in the house. Um, I'm not, I'm not a great cook, but, um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much driven by my son and his palate. So, but I've tried <laughs> well, to- you are talking about homemade onion rings. So a, yeah, yeah. I think you're great. And B, it does sound like maybe your son's palate, but <laughs> yeah, both can be yeah. true. No, I, I, I try to keep, keep it going. I try to make what he likes to the best possible that I can do, you know? So lamb chops, um, Oof, yeah. much better on an outside grill. I got to say than an inside grill. My wife came home after I cooked and she said, okay, it smells like dead lamb in here. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh yeah. It'll smell like that for days. <laughs> in New York. It's hard in New York. I try to open the windows and put the fan on, but. Oh no, you got to have a whole system with a rag. No, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's challenging. No. So I did, I did exactly that. I seared it and then I put it in the oven to finish. But, um, so he likes that. Um, tonight I'm, I've got chicken marinating with, um, in buttermilk with uh, like a little bit of sea salt and paprika. It's been marinating nice. for 24 hours. I love to marinate that stuff for like, I'll do two days. I'll do three days marinating with that, you know, thin sure. slice. And then, um, and then I'll take them and I'll do like, I'll probably do like a little chicken tender, you know, do a little breaded, you know, panko kind of thing, you know. That sounds uh, delicious. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. And the chicken is kind of moist and tender from the buttermilk and the salt. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go eat. <laughs> no. Start marinating something. Exactly. <laughs> but it's you know, it's simple stuff. You, you know, it's like you get fresh corn, so we're going with that. We've got tomatoes are in season, tomato mozzarella mozzarella, oh, yeah. basil. I mean, I actually am curious if you know that's really I think of that as being the beauty of living in the northeast. It's like when the produce is good, it's so good. But yeah. is I mean, since you're in such a dry part of Washington it's great for grapes. It's great for onions. What's the, like, what's the rest? Oh, you said, oh, well, cherries, you said fruit right? Trees. Fruit trees oh, are God, in no. where so, you are. So it's all fruit ranching. So wow. we start, we start, and it's also, and, and they also have, they, they grow a lot of other things as well. In fact, um, a lot of what they grow gets shipped across, across country. So, mm-hmm. uh, and growing up there, we had a huge garden in my backyard when I was a kid, my dad was a big gardener and mostly flowers, but he also had a vegetable garden. Um, and he would grow things in there, particularly like he, he loved zucchini, you know, because he would make this zucchini, tomato, onion sort of thing on the, on the barbecue grill, yeah. um, which was good. But, you know, zucchinis are like this crazy sort of vegetable. Like you go in the morning and you look under the leaves and like, and you know, they're, they're like, you know, they can be three, four inches. And you're like, like, okay, I'll pick those in a couple of days. You go back that afternoon and they've suddenly grown to like 18 <laughs> inches. I'm like, the hell? <laughs> no, they're everywhere. They're so abundant. How did they do yeah. that? They're like this mystical vegetable. But anyway, so they, you know, we starting with asparagus in the spring and going all the way through, we had everything. So it was, um, and there were a lot of farmers, uh, they weren't, they weren't, we didn't call farmers market, they were food stands, basically, there. Mm-hmm. They would huh. have produce um, that they that. brought in from the farms in yeah. what would be the lower valley. So we were on the upper valley and the lower valley, um, and things would ripen a little quicker in the lower valley. But all the fruits, you know, you had the uh, peaches, apricots, cherries, pears, apples, all this stuff came out of the valley. So I'm... I'm really spoiled and I didn't have any appreciation when I was a kid, of course, but when I, when I eat, when I would eat vegetables or fruit from there, it was like out of the ground or right off the tree, you know? Right. That's amazing. Like, wow. So, you know, so I'm pretty selective and it's hard to get great stuff, but now is the time. Right. So, yeah, so everything grows there, you know, um, and, and wine grapes. I mean, it was a huge producer of, of juice grapes for a long time, Concord grapes, which they would use for, you know, welches and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they still do a lot of that. But the the grapes for for wine also do extremely well there, and part of the fun is finding 
the best spot for the best varietal. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have these different AVAs scattered around the state. Uh, there's the, the massive Columbia AVA, which is sort of the big one. But then within that, you've got like Red Mountain AVA, you've got Snipes Mountain, you've got the Walla Walla, um, you've got Horse Heaven, um, you've got all these kind of fun names scattered wow. through all, this, all different regions. And they all have slightly different profiles, you know, um, and it's fun to learn. Which one yeah, are you in? I source from um, Horse Heaven Hills. Um, I've got a fruit coming out of there from my Syrah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also got um, Rattlesnake Hills. That's an area uh, kind of above, closer up to Yakima. There's Yakima AVA, but I don't have any fruit in there. But um, I've also got, well, I actually have, some, I do have some from Yakima. The Walla Walla, I also source from. And then there's an area called um, the Waluk Slope, which is um, also a, a wonderful producer. Um, Walula is another other. Some of these are native. I love these uh, names. names. Yeah, and they all refer to certain, you know, certain areas or maybe a town or you know, I don't know, just a, a region. You know, the whole formation of Eastern Washington. Um, it's just a giant basalt plain, really. Just a giant. You know, I don't know. Let's say a couple million years ago, something opened mm-hmm. up. You know, kind of around Idaho and sort of just everything sort of like melted and came went west, you know, so it's just this giant lava flow. Um, and then on top of that, there were 20,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, there's things called the, the Missoula floods where these giant um, ice dams broke, holding back water in kind of northern Montana area, northwestern Montana. They broke and suddenly these lakes, these ice lakes that had been formed, unleashed their water into Eastern Washington. And they say like, I don't know, 200 feet wall of water, just kind of coming through. And you're like, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm a deer, you know, just kind of eating a little bit. And I'm looking back. I'm screwed. It's also just so crazy to think about like, First of all, that sounds so striking, just that the current landscape sounds so striking, but also just to think, you know, we're sitting here being like, oh my God, we're living through so many disasters. And then thinking about like how many natural, I guess you wouldn't call it a disaster because it ended up being so wonderful, but like, it's I mean, so crazy. No, it's crazy. It just scoured. It's like, they talk about it as if like a bathtub was sort of empty, you know, and then right. the water sort of sloshed up against this range of mountains and then sort of sloshed back, you know, and so... And there are these, all these giant stones that were carried down in the ice because it was all of an ice lake, right? So there are all these mm-hmm. kind of boulders and things that just got a lift all the way down into eastern Washington. And it, it, it scoured its way out through the, on the Columbia River all the way out to the ocean. And this wow. happened not just once, but like many times over. I mean, you know, over, over wow. thousands of years. Yeah, so you're like, that's pretty wild. And it made the grapes taste better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Hey, that's your marketing scheme. I mean, there you go. Now you got it. We have some sort of silly acting questions because we're both actors. And so, you know, we can't, yeah. we, we can't let you off without, you know, asking some of these, but Please. we wanted to know what wines you think Trey McDougall and Dale Cooper would drink as characters. Oh yeah. Trey, probably something light and fruity. <laughs> thinking of that character yes. yeah or maybe maybe a Beaujolais maybe you know or something sort of um elegant maybe maybe more elegant than a Beaujolais you know maybe a nice uh yeah maybe even a nice light like light, a lighter burgundy you know mm. something 
um, or a super light Chateau Neuf, you know, Rhone would be nice. Mm-hmm. Cooper, um, I, I think of him as, as being a little more of a more sort of Cabernet driven. You know, he's such such a love of coffee and coffee right. flavors that I think that he might be drawn to like a more of a, a yeah, yeah, maybe even a Syrah. You know, maybe that's because of a little bit of the spice in it and and uh, um, sort of a bit of the earthy. You know, some of the savory, more savory flavors. Uh, he loves ham, you know, but he likes it with maple syrup, you know, and so. There's like a savory sweet thing going on there. So maybe Syrah. Yeah, that's what I would say. No, I'm just listening to you talk about that. And I'm realizing, Sophie, at some point, one we could throw such a great like Twin Peaks themed dinner party matching foods with wine. Because there's so much like food in that series. It's such a yeah, you're right. great. Like you just remember, it's, I don't know, it's so present. Yeah, yeah. That's but a lot of that David Lynch. That would be fun. Show. Yeah. Well, I'll come. But, <laughs> Please, guest of honor. But what uh, what wine are we pairing with with cherry pie? Of course. Oh, yeah. You know that can go either way. You can go with like a, you could do like a rosé. Um, I don't make a champagne, but you could do a rosé. You wanted to go something lighter, sort of complement the cherry. The rosé that I make is um, sort of Bandol inspired, so it's Grenache, it's Mouvedre. Um, I used to have a little bit of Cinso. I go back and forth with the Cinso, but it's very aromatic. It's it's got nice m- nice minerality to it. I know that's not really a, a descriptor, but uh, it mm. feels like that. And a little bit of a bright acid disappears off the palate. It's very dry, um, super super pale. Um, you could do that over with cherry pie, or you can sort of dig in and do the and do the Syrah again. You know, you could go right. big and bold, mm-hmm. um, and that would work too. Delicious. Oftentimes when I'm with sweet though, I like to pair it with something that's like a little bitter. So I'll do like the, I'll do like a coffee or something that has that kind of bitter quality mm-hmm. to it. I like that combination more than sweet on sweet. Is Winter's Tale your favorite Shakespeare play or did you just love that stage direction? No, I just love the stage direction. You know, I don't even really know the play that well. Um, but <laughs> it's very well. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> who, who wrote it again? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, no, you know, I love, uh, you know, I love the ones, the, the crowd pleasers, you know, I did, I did, I did, I did Romeo and Juliet three times for God's sake. Wow. Um, I played Romeo twice and I played Benvolio once. That was fun. So that one, I like that one. Um, you know, Macbeth is great. You know, I love, I love that. I mean, I love all the kind of the, you know, the obvious ones, I guess, but the stage direction, uh, act three, scene three, Winter's Tale, exit pursued by a bear. It's just so, I don't know, you know, you, you use, I use my imagination and I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so Shakespeare wrote it. And I'm feeling like when he's writing it, he's kind of laughing to himself. He's mm-hmm. like, totally, you know, and then he gives it to the director. I mean, he obviously he directed a number of these, but let's say he gives it to the manager, a theater owner, whatever. And he says, okay, we're going to produce this. And then the guy's reading it. And he's reading it. And he's like, exit pursued by a bear. What? How, how, <laughs> how do we do that? How do we do this? And, and I just feel like he's like, well, we'll figure it out. And I, and I sort of thought that way. I sort of like, the question was, how do I do this? How do I do the one? And I said, well, we'll figure it out. So yeah. it's a little bit of that. And that was kind of yes. my thought behind the, the name of it. Plus it was just, you know, they say that labels with animals do well. So, huh. so that, and it also oh, made, interesting. Me, made me a great visual too. So It's a great visual. Yeah. yeah. All right. So do we was, have any, any last questions? Anything else we want to round, round out with? Yeah, I have so many questions just about like 
you and your relationship with David Lynch, but we can uh, save those for another time. <laughs> well, you know, well, we're good friends, David and I. We've known each other since Dune, so 1983. I'm watching it right now on Amazon, by the way. You, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, I want to read it next. Oh, God. Oh, the book, it's so the book fun. is amazing. The first 60 pages are, are you, I had to go back three times because I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> who, what, how, you know. Yeah. It's, it's so, the world is so complicated, but the movie will help a little bit. But, um, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those where um, kind of out of nowhere, Plucked from a complete obscurity to play this role. And um, how 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 did he find you though? Like, were you doing regional theater and he saw yeah, you? I was working. I had graduated from school. I went to school at UW. Um, and graduated in '82. Went to work at Ashland at the Shakespeare Festival. Ah, right okay. Well, actually, left a little bit early, which is cool. Um, did Romeo, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. One um, with one of my with one of the, with the an actress that I went to school with, Gloria. And so oh. we were in. So we left to go to work at Ashland. Um, and then I, we finished the season there and I went up to Seattle to do Tartuffe, um, kind of a, uh, it was a new translation, not the Wilbur translation of Tartuffe, um, with Jeff Steicher as our director, who I adore. And <laughs> while I was there on my Panasonic answering machine, someone called and said, Kyle, I'm getting a call. Someone, a friend of mine called and said, there's a lady who's asking around for actors in Seattle who might be a certain age and you know your name came up a couple of times and so I you know do you want me to give her your number or whatever you know beep, and I was like someone trying to prank me is this is this you know is this a prank call it turns out it wasn't and the casting agent had come to Seattle and was asking casting agents there and theaters and I just happened to be in the theater performing and, and people said oh yeah Kyle fits that bill he's that right age he's that kind of look and so I met I met the casting agent at that name, Elizabeth, and um, she put me on tape. It was one of those in a hotel room, you know, yeah. you know in between two beds, you know, reading the script and the little camera, you know. Oh, my God. And, uh, I'd never done that before. I said, is that all right? Is it okay? Because, you know, you're, you know, you're auditioning in stage, on, on, you know, in a room. Or yeah, right. Totally. Having a full so body different. performance as opposed yeah. to, and right. Can, you know, for whatever reason, she said, no, oh, it was good. So she showed it to David and and uh, producer of Ayala, and they said, yeah, we should meet him, and they flew me down. I mean, and this <laughs> began, it's just so exciting to me, like, how incredible, how yeah, lovely. No, it no. was so, lo- so lovely, so lucky, lucky for me that it was David, you know, because yeah. he's also a Northwest uh, guy, and we just hit it off, you know, yeah. and had connection, and had, you know, just like-minded, I guess, and uh, there you go, off we were, off we were yeah. going. I was saying to Sophie earlier, you feel the ambiance of, of his yeah. movies. Then the aesthetic is so clear. But when you guys are like doing the first few, it's crazy. How do you all get on the same page? He well, just trusts, he sees something he likes. and Yeah, that's just David. We just basically read it as actor. You know, just you, you read it for real, you know, and sometimes right. quirky dialogue. But you're, you know, David always wants real to the actor, you know what I mean? And, and real right. differs from each actor to each other actor, you know, but, but he likes the real thing. And then he will provide the ambiance, you know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. Lynch and you're like, that's not my responsibility. That's the director's responsibility to bring totally. the tonal, you know, I'll do what I'm supposed to do with this character, but don't ask me to suddenly yeah. some kind of tonal Lynch, Lynch thing. Cause that's not right. My but anyway, it was, we've had a fun journey. God. 
Well, I have one last question, sure, which so. is, okay, if you are going to a dinner party and you're not bringing one of your own wines, mm. what other wines do you absolutely love to drink, bring, introduce people to, et cetera? Oh, gosh, you know, I would definitely bring something from Washington just because I feel as if I'm a bit of an ambassador to Washington State. So <clears throat> there's so many uh, wineries up there that I love. I love what they do. I love, I love what they're making. You know, one that I, that I point to a lot and it's been getting a lot of attention recently, is Avenia, A-V-E-N-N-I-A, Avenia. They make great wine. They're well-recognized. Uh, Reininger is also another one I think is great. That's in Walla Walla. Chris Figgins, he makes a great wine. He's part of the Leonetti line, uh, people. I mean, Leonetti's great as well. Um, some of them are more well-known. Um, there's a, a little um, a little tiny winery called Solem, S-O-L-E-M-N, I think, a husband and wife, you know, and they make, he makes great wine. They're co-winemakers. Uh, Solemn is great. Abeja, that's where my winery, that's where my winemaker, that's where his, his main job is there. And he's moonlights for me on the side for pursuing <laughs> my pair. But Abeja is fantastic. It means bee in Spanish. It's also, if you travel to Walla Walla and you're looking for a place to stay, you will not do better than um, the Inn of Abeja. It is, a, it's like a world-class resort. It's seven rooms. It's an old farm that they've converted. They've done it immaculately. It's just stunning. And, uh, and I'm impressed. I mean, I've traveled the world and I've been to a lot of places and this place is just beautiful in a place that you wouldn't expect. So a Beha is great too. I mean, God, I'm, I'm forgetting some, but there are, I would, I would bring something, a represent, represent something from Washington state for sure. I love it. Wow. And I'm yeah. Magnum if I had it. Magnum is always way to, way to go. Oh, hell yeah. So yeah, agree. That's, Large that's format important. all the time. <laughs> I just said, I'm here. I'm here and we're going to drink this sucker. No, it's a, it's a nice gift to give. You know what I mean? It's like the expectation is you're not going to open it now, but this is something special for the host that right. they will enjoy at their next part. You know, so. Exactly. What a fantastic guy. I, we, I am so grateful to Kalu for setting us up. Me that too. Was great. Truly. My heart is just like so a flutter. He's so wonderful. And just so I could listen to him for hours. He knows so much and it's so inspiring. Like he wanted to learn about wine. He knows everything that he know, needs to know from planting seeds to how to sell it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I also feel like there's something very special about talking to someone who is an actor or like is in show business, but also has a firm foot in the food and beverage industry. I feel like the crossover meant a lot to both of us. Yes, for sure. We need more actors on here. Let's get more actors on next season. Who knows? Why not? Why not? We I can. Have a lot to say about food. Well, guys, we love you. Colin, thank you for editing 50 of these fucking episodes. You are such a rock star. You guys don't even understand. You hear us think Colin at the end of every episode, but we really could not do this without him. He <laughs> is a magician. He is just the authority on all things sound, comedy, mixing. He is the man behind the curtain. <laughs> the Thank man behind these two idiots. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to Rebecca for just helping to elevate this every week into something that is more exciting than it would be otherwise. And hey, thanks to my partner across the Zoom screen from me. I Likewise. love you, girl. <laughs> love you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.